Hi, my name's Brandon. And if you're anything like me, then nothing is gonna touch you in these golden years. Golden <laughs> years. That was my David Bowie impersonation. <laughs> is, is that where the intro comes in? Yes. <laughs> Podcast where we find a groove and we get into it. And as always, here with me today, make way for the homo superior. It's Melissa. Hey. Hi. Hey. Um, so this episode's gonna come out in January. It's good. January second is when this episode's gonna come out okay. in the future. So I thought it would be super fun no. to reflect on the worst year imaginable. Hey, okay. <laughs> and let's let's what what was one <coughs> shining moment of 2020. Shining moment. With something that was good that happened in 2020. Like in general or personally speaking. Uh, either. Find something. Tell me something good. Something positive. Yeah, something good. Ah! Um. Joe Biden getting elected. Listen, I'm about to say that. Here's the deal. <laughs> y'all, there's so much hope in the world right now because on January 19th, y'all. <laughs> We will have a human being with morals and standards in the White House, okay? We're going to have a human being with a woman beside him Hello. who's going to wreck the world. Not just Jill Biden. I'm talking about Kamala Harris, y'all. <laughs> okay? Things are going to get better. I, th I think that's the, the shining moment of 2020 is that 2021 yeah. is bound to be not as fucking terrible. That, that is, is it. Like, I don't even care if it's a little bit better than 2020. I'm, I'm I don't even care if we're still wearing masks next summer. I don't give a fuck. It's going yeah. to be this much better next year. And that yes. is enough for me at this point. We are rock bottom, y'all. <laughs> it is time to swoop back up. And we are we are getting there. We're, I, yes. And, and also, we can't let up. We also, have to push it. After, let me just say, shout out to the Teachers of America after oh. the year that y'all oh. have had. Lord. to have someone like Jill Biden entering the White House in your workforce and con continuing to be in your workforce and fighting for you, I think that is the biggest win of 2020. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> uh, yes. I come from a teacher full of families. I mean, a family full of teachers. Uh, a teacher <laughs> full of families. <laughs> a family full of teachers. And family I just for feel every very last excited teacher. for all of them. So I think they, yeah. that's the biggest win. A big silver lining. All right. Also here with us, turn and face the strain. It's Colton Cox. <laughs> Are we just gonna like squeeze as many Bowie references in as possible? As possible. Don't okay. complain about your intro. I'm not complaining. Okay, I'm, I'm legitimately asking to see <laughs> how many we're gonna squeeze in this episode. I will fire you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was your? Uh, you live with him. Be careful. Yeah, I was gonna mm. say. Let me just sit here while you all record with the new person. <laughs> Crossed, <laughs> <staring at> us. <laughs> a shadowy corner. What was your uh, shining moment of 2020? What was something good that happened? Uh, well, I mean, Shelby, of course, oh. <laughs> who's sitting silently off, oh. off of off screen. Off screen. Yes. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'd say doing uh, Artist Inc. Uh, here in Kansas City. Yeah, that was a really yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. 
met some great people and um, learned a lot about myself and how to be a more uh, businessman type musician rather than just a fancy artist. So I'm ready for businessman Colton. Uh, Show me the business. <laughs> businessman Colton is ready for money is what he's ready for. Yeah, that's oh, the right mindset. Nice. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And finally here with us, she lives on her back and she loves chimney stacks. It's the Jean Genie. Oh, nice. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I was so excited to see what you would go with. And the I, obvious choice. It might have been a cop out, <laughs> but I still liked no, it. No, it's a good one. I love it. Hey. Hi. Tell us your, your one good moment in 2020. Oh my God. I've been stressing about it since you asked everybody. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> nothing good has happened. <laughs> what do I say? Um, I feel like, you know, it's been an overwhelmingly, like, very stressful year in a lot of ways, but I feel, I feel like it was a good year of, like, just growth for me. I feel like I learned some serious things about myself, mm -hmm. and I feel like, uh, I'm, I'm maybe more aware of living at the moment. Which is a weird thing to say, but like, I don't, I just I feel think like I've taken a degree of like really nice personal power in my life. Yes. Yeah. And I'm reveling in this sort of uh, appreciation for that. I think I it, 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 we had no choice but to confront death this year because, yeah. mm -hmm. good Lord, it was Jesus. all around us. So, welcome to the club, y'all. Oh my God. Oh welcome my God. To it. Like, <laughs> I yeah. definitely feel like. All the terrible things that have happened this year, I at least learned a little bit more, uh, like, that the things I believe in, I actually believe in. You know what I mean? Like yes. It, it solidified some things. Yes. This year. Yeah. This terrible, terrible year. Yeah. 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 Well, um, speaking of terrible things, we're here to talk about um, something that brings a lot of sadness. Um, it's David Bowie's last studio album. Um that was released before he died in 2016. Um, it was released January 8th, 2016, and two days later, David Bowie passed of cancer. Correct? Yes. 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 Okay. I remember this morning, I remember listening to the album release. I remember like the day it came out, and I played it the whole weekend. And then Monday morning, I was waking up super early at that, like I was working out. I'd wake up at like 4.30 in the morning and I got on Instagram and I remember seeing, it was just like one little post. It was so early in the morning still. And it took me a minute to recognize that it was a picture of David Bowie. And I was like, there's no way that's right. And I had to Google it. And I remember like, I just remember sitting on deck like down on the edge of the bed and like, I was like, oh, David Bowie died. Yeah, he just seemed so animated and vibrant still it was like, such a gut yeah. punch yeah. and it was like he had just put out like i think this album's brilliant yes, yes. like jaw-droppingly yeah. gorgeous had just released it into the world and like and then he was gone i remember, I remember he made a like a public appearance a couple of months before he died and my mom has this magic power where she can see somebody and say that person doesn't look good and they are dead very quickly mm -hmm. and i remember she saw him on tv and she said "Who david boy doesn't look good and that was like november mm -hmm. <laughs> and he was gone 
Yeah, I just read today that he knew he was sick for, you know, a long time before he actually passed, but I guess he didn't know he was terminal when he passed away. So, like, I think he... Well, he had kind of gotten better, and then he uh very suddenly got sick again, Yeah, you know, around November when they started releasing this stuff for this album. Yeah. Yeah. But I did notice on, well, I mean, we'll get here, but I did notice on this particular album, there are songs that he sounds more tired on than oh, other songs. Yeah. Like, I could tell the days yeah. he was not feeling well versus the days he was feeling well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we, uh, I feel like that's probably something we'll get into, so. <laughs> yeah, right. the, I mean, we'll just get right into it, but like the whole album I, is uh, absolutely him standing at the end and looking back at all oh, of yeah. it. Oh, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Especially in this opening track, the titular track, Black Star. Um, good Lord, a 10-minute track. Ugh. That might as well be three or four songs. It was um, actually two songs that he eventually combined. Oh, really? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, the second song I prefer. <laughs> Same. Same. It, like, the there's a, there's, like, it's accessible, you know, there's a beat you can groove well, to. Well, that sounds it. a little bit okay. like David Bowie. Would you, I get it. Would you appreciate it as much if it didn't have the build-up to it? <sighs> See, and that's the question, isn't it? That is the question. Because they so seamlessly slide into But it kind of feels like, for me, it, the first part always feels kind of like the movie credits, like where I'm not totally paying attention, <laughs> and then all of a sudden the movie starts, yeah, like and back, I'm paying attention. Back like, in the old movies yeah, where they list all of yeah, the Yeah, like that's kind of how it before. feels. Like, and then, then we get to the second part, and I go, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Uh, I mean, I definitely prefer the second part of it too, but but yeah, they were and, two separate songs. And not that the first part's bad; it's right. just it's a lot more um, scary. I love it. It's well, so emotive. I, I love it. I don't oh. even think that these two were like meant I love to brooding. be uh, That's a good adjacent to each other. I think they were supposed to be just two tracks on the album. It creates such a specific atmosphere, and then you get pulled out of that. Yeah, um, I didn't. I had like a couple of things for this song, if unless anybody wants to say things first. Start, start, start is off. What do you have? <laughs> so I have read three theories on this song. This oh is my gosh. this is the discussion. Yes, because I mean this <laughs> song is definitely rabbit hole of Bowie has stuff. cryptic lyrics in yeah. general, yes. but this song in particular is like some demented code that uh, yeah. So the three theories that I've read. So one of them talked about how. Um, Referenced Alistair Crowley, mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm. Um, which oh God, I th- it, ta- it talks about a specific ritual in this song, and they they kind of play it out in the music video for the song. Yes, um, music video is a whole. And I think thing. so. This this theory I think kind of ties into the second theory I have. So, Black Star has like three meanings that could be applied to this. Um, one of them is. Uh, uh, the first reference like this cycle of replacing the pop star. Um, mm-hmm. So like Bowie kind of making reference that like there's going to be someone after him, mm-hmm. you know? It's a um, cycle. It's a cycle. And then uh, the second part, um, lesions made from cancer are also called black, they're black star lesions. Uh-huh. Um, so he could be making reference to that as well. And then the third one in, in actual like collapsing star um, that's like pulling all of its weight into itself. Um, 
And I think he kind of... The lesions are called black star lesions. Yeah. Um, So I feel like he is using all three of them in this song in slight ways, but he's never directly addressing which one he's talking about. Well, I think it's because it's up to us. Right. I think he just like left us here and was like, here you go, you guys. Have a good time. I didn't know the 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 lesions thing until looking like researching oh, for this. Yeah. Me neither. I I knew I the I knew the black star like you know cosmic reference, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, uh, I th- I just thought it was really interesting. Um, for me, just because it's Bowie, I almost feel like it's more about the the cycle of replacing the pop star kind of thing. Just because he has done that to himself. Oh, yeah. For ages, you know. That's like, such a great way to phrase it, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's he's been, uh, like, you know, 20 different pop stars in his career. Yeah. And. He was such a professional, like, killing off an alter ego and moving on to the next one. Oh, yeah, he's a chameleon. Oh, really man. is. That first line, uh, in the villa of Orman, um, I went down oh, yeah. a cult uh, <laughs> rabbit hole. Yes. And, uh, uh, read all about the, the Crowley stuff and yeah. whatever. Um, but Did you pull up the Tumblr? There's a Tumblr for it. Oh, no, no, people kept referencing this Tumblr, and two oh pictures were saved, God. but like the whole Tumblr uh, is deleted. It's gone. I remember looking it up. I remember doing the research for it. It was a pretty cool uh, Tumblr. It was, it was fun. Was it directly tied to the release yes. of this? Op- okay. Yeah. So There's a lot confirmed. of speculation that it was not a fan-made creation, oh. but was a like a publicity uh, like release. Okay. okay. A well-planned and curated one. But it's speculation. Oh, I, uh, it was great. It was, it was Tom Notch's cool spot. I also forgot to mention that uh, Black Star was also the title of an Elvis Presley song. Yes, thank you for bringing this up. And it has the lyric, when a man sees his Black Star, he knows his time has come. David Bowie and Elvis Presley had the same birthday. Oh, I mean, different years, I didn't know but that. yeah, no, they had the same birthday, and David Bowie admits. Like there's, he was like, you know, I felt there was something mystical that I shared a birthday with such a like brilliant star at the time, and he was a huge Elvis Presley fan. Yeah. Yes, modeled huge. a lot of his moves after him. Yeah. Yes, which is so interesting to like learn. Like you're like, oh, that's so strange, and also it, it does make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. Anyways, it does sound though. If you share birthdays with like certain people, sometimes you're like, ooh, it's impactful. I could see that. Um, the Villa of Ormond. Did I say that already? Yes. You did, but you didn't go to Say what it was? Okay. Because, okay, yeah. Villa of Ormond. Ormond um, is Norwegian, I think, for... I, that sounds right, yeah. Uh, serpent. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Um, and as I just kept reading and reading and reading, um, somebody made the connection of... Oh my God! I can't remember. The Ouroboros. Yes, the 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 kind oh, of the creature the that's snake eating, eating its tail. Yeah. 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 Um, and so there's like a lot of that imagery going on, and that like ties back to like him looking back on his own career, whatever. Um, and a lot of people say that he chose that word Orman because um, it was originally in the villa of Almen, but um, the word was changed and it was Norwegian because of the first woman he dated that left him to work on that movie. Song oh, yeah, of yeah. Norway, Hermione. you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yes. his girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't know that. A lot of, like, weird spokes that come off just be- just from this song. Yeah. Well, that's I was going to say I've read that it was interpreted, like, a few people said it sounds similar to, like, the ending of Almond. 
again, another like reference to like, ah, duh. Yeah. That's like something, I mean, Bowie's always made these like really obscure references to, you know, usually like literature related things, which I don't know if that ties into um, his, uh, like the start of his career, how he was basically like a a Dylan songwriter. Like he very much was like a British version of Bob Dylan. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I could see that. I could get that. Still so stressed. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the video for a moment? Yes. Yeah. Or a few moments. Um, and people say, perhaps we can. Somebody can say yes, absolutely, or no. Um, that the video is a representation of the death of Major Tom. Well, it looks like yeah. it, but there's so many like cheeky nods to like little bits and pieces, like mm-hmm. that Major Tom is one. There's a reference to um, Ziggy in there too, I believe. Mm-hmm. What? Um, I think there's like a skull or something like that. That's like bejeweled and shit? Yes. You do see Oh, okay. Uh, People were saying that that was like still Major Tom's corpse and they were, but it's... Well, I I mean, it's probably a mixture of things. Okay, fair enough, yeah. (laughs) That video is hypnotizing. Scary. It's, yeah, what a... It's fun. It is. I love all of it. I love he plays like multiple characters through it. Yeah. And they're very different. The button eyed. It's amazing mm-hmm. to see him when he's doing like the preacher bit up in the uh you know, up in the attics when he doesn't have anything over his face, you know? Yeah. He seems so frail at first and then he's got the crazy button eyes and then you see him with that like that book and you're like, Wow. Um I don't yeah. And then also ties into um Oh, gosh, I can't remember the name of the song, but a song from uh, Next Day, which is, you know, pretty much tied into all the Black Star stuff. Uh, uh, Valentine's Day. Um, he's playing like a, a serial killer in the music video. And it's like he's like kind of showing this like weird, twisted version of himself while he's singing the songs. Um, so, yeah, he was definitely I think I think he was just trying to play as many characters as he could in the last little stretch that he had, you know? Well, no notes for me. He fucking nailed it. Yeah. Um, the occult rabbit hole that I fell down um, was analyzing the video hardcore, and they pointed out that towards the beginning, you sort of see uh, boys and girls together, like mm-hmm. the, the, the three people dancing in the yes. they're together. Um, and then later on in the video, but you see separate. separately girls. The girls are like circled around the bejeweled head, Major Tom. They're doing um, a ritual. They're doing a ritual. And the boys are yes. scarecrows in a field, yes. and they're doing this like crazy, weird dance, and they look like sort of Jesus on the cross. Um, and a demon comes in. They eat him. The girls are the demons. They eat the boys. They eat the boys. It's crazy. Oh they're like sacrifices, God. and they eat them. They turn into oh. those crazy monsters, and they eat them, essentially, is what's happening. Oh. It takes a long time to figure it out. You're like, what the fuck? You're like, those girls are definitely doing some sort of ritual magic. Yeah. Yeah. They're controlling uh, the monster. They oh. eat the boys. My mind is blown. <laughs> What the fuck? Oh, crazy. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm just going to use springing off point. Um, We were talking about Bowie making obscure references to things. Um, That ties into the next song, 
anticipating she was a whore. Oh, yes. yes because that is the title of a uh, play that I dipped very lightly into what the play is about. It's about an incestuous relationship between a brother and a sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's a weird one, but it's definitely something I could see Bowie referencing. She dies, the brother kills her, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to like a birthday dinner with her heart skewered on the knife and then just like kills everybody. Somebody dies of shock. It says like the friar died immediately. Um <laughs> Friars always the weakest link. Friars, the yeah. what are you there for? But then he just hauls up and kills everybody, and then they're wondering, like, why did this happen? It's like, it's because she's a whore. I love that. Uh, <laughs> Jacobian drama. Oh, God. Well, and I, I wanted to use this too, um, you know, just some of the, the background behind, like, how they made this, this record. So, yeah. You know, Bowie had been on a tour in the late 2000s. I think it was, the, no, it was like 20. It was the reality 12, tour. Two, two, 2011, 2011. I think it was much earlier than that. It might have been. Um, somewhere in the odds, at any yeah. rate. But anyway, he went on this tour, and like as they went on this tour, he um, just started showing a lot of fatigue. Uh, and at one point, he, I don't know if he collapsed on stage or if he was about to collapse on stage. He had a heart he attack. He had a heart attack, yes, that's right. Um, but they, like, ended the tour, and then he didn't release any music for seven years. A long time. Seven years, he I think. He kind of just disappeared. Um, and uh, they, uh, we watched, uh, Brandon and I watched five years, or the... The last five the years. The last five years on uh, HBO, yeah. which... Was very good. I don't think it was um, quite as informative as we were hoping it would be. But um, so, like the musicians that played on that album, um, I think are are they the same as Black Star? I don't. I don't think they are. I think it's a no. Different group of musicians. Uh, These were. This was a whole new like yeah. right because this was like a jazz ensemble. Yeah, right. he pulled Black them Star. in specifically. Well, anyway, the musicians like hadn't heard anything from David Bowie for ages, and then they just suddenly got an email that David Bowie wants to work on new tracks, and so they went to this secret location, secret warehouse, and started working on songs with David Bowie, you know, cool stuff like that. They signed NDAs. But this whole time that they're they're working on this stuff, um, none of them knew that he was sick. For for people who don't know the story. Uh, they didn't know he was sick. Uh, he knew that he had been diagnosed, like I said earlier, but he didn't know he was terminal. Um, but yeah, and then they finished next day and pretty much went right into Black Star. Um, and this song was one that was actually recorded before Black Star started. Yeah. Uh, Tis a pity she was a whore. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just. Kind of, you know, d- dip into how we got to this point in the David Bowie process. Yeah, I, a lot of people think that in this song he's talking about himself, like he's referring to himself. I read, as I read something on this today. Too, yeah, so continue. Finish your thought. Well, I, that 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 was more of a, a prompt, really, because I don't. Um, so I have, uh, according to the Bowie website, from what I understand, um, it's supposed to do with. Either um, the shocking atrocities of World War One in particular, mm-hmm. or just the atrocities of war in general, is is one theory. Um, the other one that I read that I thought was interesting—I don't know if it's entirely correct—but um, 
that it's time that he's referring to. That's who the whore is? Mm-hmm. That bitch time? Steal, you know, like, uh, she takes his cock and... Yeah. Uh, basically, all these references to him, like, getting older in the song. I will say, hearing David Bowie say cock... I, I, that's something I am against in this album. Really? Yeah. It, oh. It, uh, perhaps it's because it was like through my earbuds. It was directly in my ear. It's a little too close to your like. Hear, oh. I could hear the, the C's and the K. <laughs> yeah, you I heard could. it all. <laughs> and I said, yeah, you're so, going. Okay, David Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't need to hear David Bowie right Say in your ear. <laughs> Listen, I don't think I don't think he's any stranger. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. <laughs> Unconfirmed, but <laughs> I believe. I'm sorry, Anna ripped you. Uh, no, but yeah, that that's just the theory that I read. It was um, time is 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 the whore um, making reference to him getting older and all that. Jeannie, I just wanted to jump in and say um, that uh, he this band did not work on Black Star single. No, they worked on Black Star. They didn't the um, the next day. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. This yeah. was their first. Time. Right. Yeah. I think okay. we. I think we established oh, that. Oh shit! Sorry. <laughs> no. Um, I think it was just the way that you worded it made it sound like right. They, like they like were working on that album and then immediately went into this album. They like, did. Without. I mean, that is the way it happened, but they they didn't carry over the same people. Right. 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 Um, but yeah, it it all gets kind of meshed together in there anyways because it is so close together, and a lot of the songs on Next Day could probably have been on. Black Star as well, you know. From uh, what that documentary that we watched, from what it seemed like these last years, like he was just knocking things off of his bucket list. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. He wrote a musical. He wrote a fucking musical starring Michael C. Hall. I'll say it every time, <laughs> lest we forget. That's is that the next track? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Lazarus. Not to Aaron move Phil- us forward, just like. No, that's perfect. Perfect transition. Yeah. A musical. Listen, okay, here's the thing that's important to talk about this is David Bowie has been trying to write a musical for a large portion of his career. You could argue, like, Ziggy Stardust has kind of got its own musical quality, and it had all the showmanship behind it. Diamond Dogs. And the Diamond Dogs tour was supposed to be 1984, and Orwell's widow would not let him do it. So the man has written. A musical, and then he couldn't do it. And I love, yeah. Final ending live, he's like, this is it. We're making this musical. It's happening. And he did. And it has Michael Anthony well, Hall and he, in it. He, so um, they oh, talked so to you about how, um, you know, he knew he was sick. He didn't know he was dying. But that he prepared a bunch of uh, things to be released for, like, years oh, yeah. after he dies. And mostly, you know, like, unreleased studio recordings and things like that or live stuff mm-hmm. but um you know i th- he was really like getting his house in order in the last few years there that's why i don't believe he didn't know he was dying <sighs> well i think oh, i no, think yeah. that's a company line and i also think that possibly he just didn't acknowledge the fact that he was fully dying mm, but yeah. i think he knew damn well that it was over because he we went to, through way too much for someone who didn't know he was. And that I was think, it. Yeah. yeah, I think he opened the door for very few people on that. Oh uh, yeah, on that. I like, think the only people who probably knew inside. what was really going on were him and Iman. Mm-hmm. And well, the story. The, in the documentary, um, these guys are saying um, like, um, I know that there was one 
one of the guitarists or something uh, was kind of like figuring out, like seeing what he was oh, doing yeah, this sure. whole time. And he's like, you're creating a goodbye record. You're, you're, you're leaving. And he, like, he didn't acknowledge it. He just kind of like laughed it off. But like people figured it out, you oh, know. Yeah. How could you not? I mean, it would it would definitely going, happen. Yeah. What 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 was saying here? <laughs> what are you well, saying? And he he started all of the like apocalyptic imagery with next day mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. carried it right into uh, Black Star. That uh, uh, where are we now? Um, song mm. from the next day yeah, uh-huh. that sort of uh, revisits. I can't remember like what song it's supposed to reflect back on, but it's supposed to be like a. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I couldn't tell you either. Anyway, yeah, like that that song, you could see like all hope was lost at that point, or most of it was lost at that point. Um, and is it this song? The the uh, lyric is like "skulls on my shoes" or something like no, that. No, that's later on. Oh, excuse that's me. Dollar Days. Okay, excuse me. Um, Lazarus yeah. starts out and he says, "Look up, I'm in heaven." Yeah, yeah. This is like, this is told from beyond. This is the Look one. Up, I'm in like, if you didn't know, this is you it's know. over. Yeah. You know, this is this is a it has happened. And he turns and he says, "So now I'm on the other side." Mm-hmm. And this is this is what you get to know. And this is where you're at. Everyone was so sad when David Bowie died. I. It was a huge deal. There were yeah. like parades. Oh. There were giant public mourning <laughs> gatherings. If I remember correctly, Arcade Fire played like a a thing. You know, yeah, when um we saw them uh on tour whenever they did their they played um um, um Reflector, that's mm-hmm. the, the song he's on. They had like little silhouettes of David Bowie mm-hmm. like on the screen. Oh my god, it gave me goose pimples. I think my favorite thing that happened uh after he passed away <laughs> several bands came forward. Um, the, the only one I remember seeing uh, was the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but several bands and, and musicians came forward saying, talking about times they had asked David Bowie to work with him on a song. And the Red Hot Chili Peppers made me laugh because um, he, they asked him they wanted to write, work on a song with him, and he sent back this this email that was just like eloquently worded, and it was so polite, but basically it was like, I don't much care for your music, so no, I don't want to write a song with you. But right on for you guys. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, no Matt, like, he, he had his finger on the pulse, like, yeah. from beginning to end. He, yeah. he had his ear to the ground, and he knew what was going I, on. I don't, if, like, Bowie is, like, the definition of reinvention for an artist. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, there are very few people that have been successfully able to transform as many times as he has. I would say, like, maybe Prince, but... Not not on the same scale. Like Bowie's were drastic changes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Lazarus is the only. Well, actually, I want to talk about the musical some more. Um, yeah. Do you know the plot of the musical? The plot of the musical picks up where the movie, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Oh yeah. Like it picks up from there. I've uh, never seen that. I really. I want to. I haven't even watched all of it. I've watched like <laughs> some of it. It's yeah. it's a it's, it's worth watching. I'm sure I need to actually commit to it. It's just hard to find now. Yeah, that's um, true. But the that story is an alien comes to Earth 
to like find water to save his planet and then he essentially gets stuck in like earth bullshit so Lazarus picks up it is now like 70 years later and he's just like reflecting back on like what his initial mission to come to earth was and what his life on earth has been like and it's, that's that's it interesting so it's kind of conceptual in that there's no like real plot it's just yeah, like I think so. kind of a reflection yeah. another way that he's like reflecting yeah yeah. I think it's so interesting that he wanted to go back and like continue on that story. I don't have a lot of speculation on it, but I just I'm like that's interesting that he was like let's go back to that. Let's I want to retouch on that. I, I've always appreciated with Bowie that he is able to be a very emotional songwriter without oh, yeah. really talking about himself in particular. Like yeah. he always finds like a character to view circumstances through and i don't know i don't know if that's just like it was easier for him to express that those things that way or if he had a hard time like talking about his own issues which i'm from what i understand of his personality he did well, yeah so i think maybe uh. it just makes it more universal like uh, finding a different vessel other than yourself to Tell something extremely personal with, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. That's open to interpretation. Uh, yeah, gives you a freedom. I would say, like that, you don't have to invest so much of yourself into telling the truth. Yes, you know? yeah. Poe like got his like start as a mime. I always think that's worth talking about. He like <laughs> went to like mime school, and I think knowing that about him. It helps you understand some of the choices like he makes. Yeah. You're like, ah. So I think that that helps with that sort of storytelling because I, I think it helps him to like bend. I mean, yeah. if you're a mime, you're telling a story, but you can't use your words. Yeah. Like You have to be creative about how you communicate. Yes. And I think it puts him in such a great place where, as you said, you know, like he can play these characters to tell deeply personal stories while also he is able to create like a distance from it himself without, you know talking about himself but he's talking about you yeah yeah or these characters yeah yeah hmm. well what's the next track sue is the next track sue in a season of crime um this is a a re-recording re of this song right yeah this came out with um who's he what's it it was like 2014 and he released it tis a pity yeah she's a whore yeah they were um, released as like two singles mm. i think essentially the little bit that i've been able to find about this song um so uh, maria schneider is the person who led the the orchestration in this recording okay the, the group um and she actually won uh, a grammy for this this song oh. in particular um but uh Tony Visconti, the producer, and David Bowie went to the Birdland Jazz Club and saw Maria Schneider performing with her group there, and Bowie decided he wanted to collaborate with her after seeing her. Wow. And um, I think it's important to note, too, I mean, we talked about that the group for uh, black stars, like jazz musicians, um, they're, like, fairly most of them are like fairly prominent like purely jazz musicians yeah. they don't really have a whole lot of things outside of that but i did think it was very cool the the bass player for the sessions has played with a 
a crap ton of people from from jazz people to to pop music to um, just all sorts of stuff. Um, I'd have to bring up his name and go over the whole list, but so yeah, I mean, in the way that Bowie puts it um, in talking about this album is that he really liked that he was uh, getting a jazz band to play rock and roll um, because he pretty much had always done like rock bands trying to play jazz. Just yeah. you know, he had just has kind of a jazzish tie to some of his songs. Um, so yeah, jazz obviously became very important to him um, as he grew older, and you can definitely hear the jazz influence on these two albums in particular, Next Day and Black Star. I love um, the fact that one of the influences that's listed for Black Star in particular is Kendrick Lamar. Yes, oh, yes. a couple of others. I just love that there is that two there's pimp, a jazz a uh, group. Playing rock and roll, influenced by Kendrick Lamar. Like, <laughs> oh, what a mess. I love it. I'm here for it. Well, and it shows, goes, to show you, goes to show you, too, that Bowie always had his finger on the pulse, like yeah. you were saying. Yeah. He's still listening to current and relevant music to keep himself fresh and on top of things. Mm -hmm. That's what he was all about. Uh, what do you have to say about Kamasi Washington? Oh, so um, one of the things that I was interested in talking about is just some of the sounds on this particular song, but I guess throughout S the album in general. Sue is what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, we're talking about Sue in a season of crime. We took a short break and we're back. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Uh, the saxophonist on this. Okay, so I think we mentioned previously that he was listening to Kendrick Lamar's uh, To Pimp a Butterfly. Yes. Um, and just something that I wanted to like kind of reference is, is I feel like it's a very noticeable sound because uh, one of the composers for Two Pimp a Butterfly was Kamasi Washington, who is a saxophonist with a very distinct sound. Um, and I feel like I feel like that there was such an evidence of how he he took that to them. And, and he was like, you know, I, I like this. What can you do with this? Um, and I feel like that's kind of evident in. Uh, McClaskin's playing. Yeah, it's, um, again, I think it's really, Bowie just really showing off that appreciation for jazz that he has. I mean, he's he's made references, like he's had like Charles Mingus quotes in some songs, and I think Charlie Parker, some Charlie Parker quotes in there too, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. I'd have to look up that one. It was McCaslin, sorry, just to get his last name right. Oh, the Donnie McCaslin, the saxophonist. Um, did you want to talk about the drummer too? Yes, I was getting there too. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was just gonna it. say again, um, Mark, it's Juliana, I believe, is what it is, or Guliana. Um, the other thing that I wanted to note, like drumming wise, is how much this sounds like, um, it came from Earthling, um. Which is interesting, the way, the periods that he chooses to jump back to and pick some of the sounds from throughout this album, because he does on a couple of these songs, he does jump back into yeah. like his previous... like Yeah, like musical quotations. Yes, and he pulls some of those out, and I feel like the drumming on this particular... Throughout the whole album, but like it definitely is like very evident, particularly in like this... It sounds a little bit like from Earthling, and he was really into this like drums and bass, like club music... Um, which was fascinating in and of itself because he was like 50 years old. It was like 1997 and he was 
making some really cool music for like raves and shit. It's just, uh, yeah. It would, uh, the drum and bass thing would make sense for modern music too. Um, Because I mean, pop music now is pretty much just drum beats and a little bit of bass or synth. Oh, yeah. So I'm sure that was probably an, an influencing choice. Anyways, those were just like the things. I feel like I really like this song. I think it's cool. I needed to listen to it a lot of times before I gained any sort of appreciation for it. And even now, it's not that much. I need to listen to it a a lot more times. Um, And I would... This song and Girl Loves Me, the next one, are like the two ones that I uh, like disengaged the most... Um, and I feel like I'm lo- losing a lot because of that. Perhaps because Lazarus is just like so kind of towers over those two songs. Yeah. Because it is, I mean, it's one of the like core songs of the, the album. It is a core song of the album and it is in the musical. Um, yeah. It is toweringly somber, I think, yes. as a song. And it really <laughs> catches your attention. In like your application of like oh interpreting this as the swan song album. However, I just want to say Sue and Girl Loves Me are two of like my favorite tracks because it feels so much like he's he does clearly have a lot of fun giving like his artists like this is kind of what I want but have fun with it. But I think he himself also, in these two songs, he has such a great time. He's like peak, like David Bowie, like digging down into like making his art and it's weird and he knows it's weird and it's mind blowing at the same time. Those two songs, I love them. Like, because he does kind of detach from telling that other darker, like kind of death story. They, they're still gloomy. They're still weird. And that's kind of why I was going to carry it. Uh, I think... For me, that's uh, Sue is a, uh, p- a pacing thing. Um, it picks the, the mm-hmm. tempo back up from Lazarus and gives yeah. it moves kinda br- you. Kind of breathes a little energy into the album on the later half, and I mean, it's still a very like contained. It energy, rockets you forward, but it's definitely um, more in line with like rock and roll Bowie, which I think he was very actively trying to not be rock and roll Bowie at this point in time. Um, so yeah, I, that's, I think that's why it's important in the album is just pacing. I think it helps pick the song, pick it back up. I will say I get, um, him saying, where the fuck did Monday go in my head? And I just want to like shout it that's over and over again. That's Wait. girl, girl, who, girl loves me. Girl loves me. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. The next track. The next yeah. track. Yeah. I think my note was that he technically, I think he died this Sunday night. So there's like the whole like, where did where did Monday go? Because he wasn't there for it. Um, I love all the weird speculation that goes behind so much of the stuff for this album. It's so exciting. It makes it all the more ooky spooky. Yes, it's great. It's got such a hype behind it. Yeah. <laughs> um, girl loves me. I only had a few things for this particular song, but one of them was the use of Polari and Nad Sat from Clockwork Orange. Um, 
which is, again, just another little literary reference that Bowie loves to throw in whenever he can. And then the other one was, um, and also has a reference to uh, Chestnut Tree, which is um, uh, from uh, 1984. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So making yet another reference to 1984 after he already tried to write a... Another callback to his work. Yes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I also think sci-fi plays a pretty strong role in Bowie's career. Always. And um, he makes references to, to these books and, and, and sci-fi movies and stuff like that all the time. And I think that's how he's able to attain a lot of his mystique is that he weaves these sci-fi tales into his like imaginary characters that he comes up with. He was making bonkers music videos, like way before people I, I were. I think I also read too um, that uh, Ziggy Stardust came out like four days before the moon landing, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, right, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah, it yeah. basically became like the unofficial anthem oh, yeah. for the moon landing. Hysterical. <laughs> Makes you wonder. Maybe he really was an alien. I, I, I believe it. <laughs> I'd buy that ticket, whoever's selling it. Yeah. Um, I mean, other than that, this, this song, um, gosh, it's kind of <laughs> kind of one of the weirder ones on a weird, I love it. <laughs> a weird album. Yeah. It's a hard to understand song. Yeah. It relies so heavily on you know on the uh, the Nadsat and the Polari the Polari. It's hard to decipher what exactly uh, they mean, um, what it means. It's almost like nonsense, but it's weird-sounding nonsense. I'll read this little blurb um, that kind of expands upon the chestnut tree thing, so maybe this might give us some insight. Um, the reference is partly used because the chestnut tree is a place in the novel where the protagonist goes to find he no longer feels emotions for his love. So perhaps that has some kind of influence on the songwriting. Mm. Another one of these things, like two people in particular that I would love to directly ask them, you know, what the hell does this mean? Bob Dylan and, and Dylan, uh, God, Dylan Bowie, David Bowie. <laughs> Bob Bowie and um, <laughs> Bob <David> Bowie. Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like, First of all, I I would never ask Bob Dylan because he would just give me a cryptic answer in return. And I'm sure Bowie would, but I think he'd be more sincere about it. <laughs> but then I feel like you'd realize a couple of days later that he absolutely lied to you. He lied straight yeah, to your face. But right. You know what? That was not the truth. Because that was the whole game. That was the whole gig. Was just right. He was always trying to... Um, he was always... Just, just making, keeping He's you a magician. At the edge of your yes, yeah. yes. It's he's always, always an illusion. Yeah. Um, I don't... But somewhere... Uh, one of these tracks, the lyric says, uh, saying no but meaning yes. Maybe that's Lazarus. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's sort of like uh, is a call to like all the times he uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much lies to his audience. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In that documentary, there's a, a, a cute little interview with David Bowie and he talks about how he's not really a theatrical person. He doesn't like to go over <laughs> the tongue. Yada, yada. And then he goes, but then I'm going to double back and uh, uh, contradict myself because that's what I do. I lie to you, and you like it. Well, and yes, yes, I do. <laughs> you, I love it. You say that, and I remember a, 
a pretty prominent part of the last five years. They talked about um, when he first started and how his first like big band was a superhero like costume dress up oh, yeah. band, yes. <laughs> which is like, yeah, you weren't one for theatrics. <laughs> Very subtle in his performance. Not one for sarcasm no. either, apparently. <laughs> no. Yeah. Anyway. What's the next tune on the short little track? I believe... Dollar that, Days. Uh, yeah, Dollar Days. The song was just sort of thrown together in the studio. Well, um, it was... I think it was just one of those things where like Bowie had an idea that he either came up with in the studio or just happened to, you know, be messing around with it and he happened to play it in front of the other musicians. But then they started putting it together in the studio. Um, and I think that was, for me, I think that's kind of the, the purpose this song serves is, is the wholehearted embrace of the like improvisational nature of the kind yeah. of jazzy stuff they were doing in this album. So Yeah, that saxophone really shines yeah. in the middle. Yeah. Sexy. Um, I think, too, like, this latter half of the album is, uh, I think Melissa was talking about how, like, the musicians themselves are just having a lot of fun playing, yeah. right? And I think the second half of the album is where you really hear that in particular, because I feel like there's a lot of really awesome playing on the first half, but you get some more soloing. You Things get a little more, mm -hmm. like, loose in the second half, yeah. you know? They really get a chance to shine. They really get right. a chance to show off and exercise their muscles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you also said that, that uh, he sounds really weak vocally in this number. Like, of course he does in the whole album, but like yeah. this one especially. Yeah, this one's, there, there were just a, a couple of songs in this one in particular that he, you can tell that he is not feeling well. It's not yeah. an effect he's trying to do for the song. It sounds like he's trying to sound like himself, and he can't. Yeah. Well, but he's trying real hard. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like Tony Bennett sounds now, where, like, he's trying to sound like Tony Bennett, but he's old as hell. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you can just tell he's, he's, just, he's not feeling good. Like, there are a couple of songs he just, he's not having a great day. Yeah. And yeah. he's probably a lot more tired than he wanted to let on. They mentioned in um, the last <laughs> five years that... Um, their rehearsal times were like 11 to 4 or something like that. Like yeah. It was a very small rehearsal frame, and especially um, they, they talk about, several of the, the musicians talk about how um, when they've worked with him in the past, they were like marathon sessions. Like David would just stay in the studio until he felt like he was done. Mm -hmm. And it, it was almost like it had become like... <laughs> Like like SAG rules or, or like you know oh union rules yeah, yeah union like rules like hard six thirty you clock out everybody right. stop what they're doing it's time to leave yeah and he never made a big deal about you know um, having to to stop at that time either like it seemed like it was what he had to do so I'm sure he probably did have days where he felt really terrible. And he was probably told by doctors he could not work more than that a day. Probably yeah. And, I mean, uh, that's what I mean. Like, he knew. Yeah. And I'm curious if he um, was doing, like, when he did chemo, if he was doing it this whole time, if Probably he did it at all. Time. And because he, well, he did. 
He had it for a while. I think he had it during the next day, technically. Right, yeah. And that's that's what I'm saying. Like, he showed so little signs of it that, like, when was it he It was doing like a two- or three-year battle, I think, right. is really the conclusion, though. Right, so, like... This wasn't something that swept up on him. Right, uh-huh. And if you look at pictures of him, he looks quite gaunt and quite that's thin true. those last couple of years. And... and his age can contribute to weight loss like that. So I don't think yeah. it looked too abnormal to everyone. And he was still, he had quite still a bit looked of a lot and like him. So yeah. normal, but I did not think that he was normal for a very long time. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially like I'd have to look up when he actually did get diagnosed, but I mean, cause he had that heart attack and then he didn't do anything hardly for seven years. Right. Like, was he having other issues before that and then, you know, found out he had cancer? Or, like, I'd just be curious to know what was going on in that that gap from when he stopped touring and writing things to then. Yeah. It's kind of like, I don't know, like when Bob Dylan went over the ha- handlebars of his motorcycle and disappeared for, like, six months. Decided to be dead. Yeah, decided to be dead, like... There's just these little pockets that I, these artists either won't talk about or don't want to, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. He retreated from the public eye, so he probably doesn't want anybody yeah. to know. And then so when, when he came back, that one. Uh, I think it was 2004 or five, something like that, during the reality tour. I think um, it was in later. Germany. Man, the Hurricane Festival. Okay, well, he was, not diagnosed. He was well. not diagnosed with liver cancer until in the middle of 2014. Oh. So he was only dealing with this for two years. Wow. But he obviously had health problems before that, or at least he was just getting older and couldn't do the extensive touring that he was doing. As it happens. Point. Yeah. Aging rock stars. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he was wearing wigs. Apparently he was bald the last year. Oh, oh, that wow. yeah, that that explains it. Wow. wow. I think he keeps the illusion up. <laughs> I think the uh, so many so many stars do though. Yeah, yeah. They keep it such. A, I mean, Chadwick Boseman, perfect example. Yeah, oh, I just like David Bowie is the first experience I had with a celebrity like hiding something that well mm. in this day and age. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chadwick was, I mean, I think even more surprising just because he was so much younger, but, like, that was just the first time I had seen someone just keep completely hide it. You know, yeah. like, you could kind of sense that something was wrong, but also, like, it's David Bowie, so maybe he's just going through a weird phase, right. you know? <laughs> well, and another thing is, too, another thing is, too, wow, what kind of sense is that? <laughs> <laughs> another thing is, too, and, also. And another thing is, too, also. <laughs> Is that, I don't know, there's there's so much that we don't hear about over here. Right. That they get over there. And I, it's like, I wonder how much the Europe knew about it as it was going on versus what we knew about it. Because yeah. we only saw what happened in like People Magazine and crap that made Man. it to America. I just don't know. No, he sense. lived in America. Oh, did he live Yes, here? he's New lived York? in New York since like... What? He, his family was in New York during 2001. The terrorist attacks. Wow. 
He's been living in America wow, forever. For he didn't go back to England because he was afraid to fly. The last trip he went back to England, he took a fucking boat because he's terrified of airplanes. Well, Nick's my theory. And he did make a, he did make that trip towards the end of his you, life too. Like it was a, a handful of years. Like I think he ultimately was like, if I want to go back to the home country, I'm taking a <laughs> boat, and I need to do it soon. Yeah, I think that just goes to show like. How much, however much we knew, everybody else knew. Mm -hmm. Like, I think everybody was on the same, like, completely oblivious. Well, you still do make a strong point, though. This is really just a side note for me. But the the media difference between, like, UK artists who are actually, like, in the UK. Oh, my gosh. I remember reading some, like, Elvis Costello interviews that are way more fun than any American. (laughs) Listen, I have to follow the BBC. I follow the Daily Mail. I follow all that because it's, like, the Daily Mail. But, <laughs> but at the same time, they just have they have a lot, a lot more insight on the artists who were over there than yeah. they w- will ever hear about over mm-hmm. here. Well, and they used to do like the Beatles, the, like first half of their career, they had British releases that were actually more in line with the, mm-hmm. the Beatles wanted to do, and they had American releases which were like uh, traditional, for, the teeny bopper crap. Well, yeah, they were made for American audiences. So anyway, just just a side note for me because I I've always been driven nuts by that <laughs> you know media I mean? divide. <laughs> you gotta clean it up. You gotta make it presentable, palatable <laughs> to the older folks out there, the older <laughs> old, older older people. You don't want to say cuss words on stage. No, no, no I mean no. I want you to, but not yeah. everybody wants yeah. you to. Not here, Brandon. What? Take the microphone off of your mouth. Yeah, why do you eat like, it? You just have it in your mouth. Because every other fucking time, I'm like, I get, I'm talking like this, and I get really <laughs> quick. So I'm just leaving it here. I know, but you're just going right into it. That's all I'm saying. I, oh, I'm shit. sure it sounds okay. fine. It's really just the, the plosives that I'm worried about, like the T's and P's. Listen and all to that. Elliot. You know, listen, I don't want to be a dick, but. Uh, Elliot also didn't notice the crackle yeah, <laughs> in the entire second episode. If we're going to be real about it. I, lo- I love you. Anyway, let's continue <laughs> to the last track. So it goes right into the last track, um, which is entitled uh, I Can't Give Everything Away, which is kind of a perfect segue from what we were just talking about. Because um, he fucking didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's also just time. the most like Bowie last song on my last album ever. Like, oh, absolutely. I can't give everything away. Right. <laughs> you thought you were here for answers? No, baby, you're gonna have more questions. Yeah. He's always he's always that magician. He's this winking trickster at every corner. No, he's the guy just when you think you caught him, mm, you did not. Yeah. He's the guy on his deathbed who like calls his family down and says, come, <laughs> come closer, and then they get down there and he just dies and says nothing. But he's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but for real. <laughs> I just... I was... <laughs> I feel like he would like, he would do that, but then say like, Rosebud or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, something very obscure. Yeah, well, yeah. A reference is his last, like a literary and/or film <laughs> reference is his last word. His loved ones for the next twenty years trying to figure out what the hell the word means and where it came from, and where no, the treasure's hidden. He was just a dick. <laughs> no, he wasn't. Well, he probably did some little funnies like that. Dicks to the right people. Dicks to the Dicks right for good people. reason. Yeah. 
I so, so I I just want to bring up as a side point. Uh, I just I was just watching um, Ricky Gervais's show Extras recently, and David Bowie is in an episode of the show. So fucking funny. He Ricky Gervais is you know the typical Ricky Gervais character that like everybody hates him. He's kind of an arrogant asshole. But he like goes to David Bowie trying to ask him advice on his career, and David Bowie makes up a song insulting him, calling him like little fat pig man. <laughs> And like saying he's got nobody, nobody loves him, and he gets like everybody in the party to sing along with him and like making fun of Ricky Gervais. Fantastic David Bowie appearance. Oh, God love him. Uh, and the the Prestige as well. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> he was Nikola Tesla in the Prestige. Oh. That's ju- that's the. Is that a Christopher Nolan movie? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Hugh Jackman. Christian Bale, Christian yeah. Bale, yeah. and uh, David Bowie for like one scene, but he steals the show. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna put that on the list. Fine, fine. <laughs> um, I also think that this last track is the, it out of, I guess out of the seven, but I feel like out of a lot of David Bowie songs I've listened to, this is the most literal song ever. <laughs> yeah, I know something's very wrong. Oh, oh, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but also uh, so incomplete. Like, doesn't doesn't give you answers just uh, because he can't can't give everything away. Yeah. Where's the fun in that? I think he himself didn't have all the answers either. Yeah, I think a lot of this music that he was making at the the end of his life was very like soul searching and like he himself. I think he like wanted to tell people that he was not feeling good or at least you know maybe he felt like he was dying um but i still think he like wanted to make it like an exploration you know yeah not just a definitive statement of i'm dying like exploring everything that that could possibly mean not only to him but to everyone else yeah yeah exploring just the last few moments before death the yeah. last section. I of mean, your life. How, what a rare opportunity, especially for someone of David Bowie's caliber, to know that you're dying or at least that you're sick and be able to do something about it, like make use of those last few years. I mean, he could have really just given up and not done anything and passed away, but he, he, as always, I'm sure, felt compelled to create something new and do something definitive which is, you know, he always wanted to be. He was always doing something. And he left the world. Always moving to the next thing. Always being like, the thing is, is David Bowie jumps through so many like different stylistic choices and he knocks every one of them out of the park. Like he's so good in every role he plays and every music style he takes a crack at. He might not be, like, the one who starts the genre. He might not even be the best out of them, but he still is always spot on, like, always right on the pulse and always Mm -hmm. very talented while doing it. I love with, um, in I keep talking about last five years just because we watched it, so, you know, a couple days ago. Um, But they talk about how he used to say, like, you know, I'm a rock star because I have to be basically like he he was a rock star right now because that's what he needed to be to get people to do the things that he wanted to do mm-hmm. 
And he, I don't think he ever really truly wanted to be famous, but I think he understood that he had to have fame in order to do what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. To be the person of that caliber. Right. He had, yeah. to, you know, he had to go through all of that. People had to know who he was so he could introduce these ideas that he had about Make the world. it big enough. Yes. Make people invested enough. Yes. They will hand you the tools for you to make what you want. Yes. Mm. We all signed up Preach and drank the Kool-Aid for mm. the David Bowie Colt. I've been peddling that Kool-Aid. <laughs> you know, I, I I want to say to, for me as a musician, um, why I, I, I love David Bowie so much is that in today's world of music, full-length albums are not a thing, really. Like, people still do them, obviously, but, like, they're usually something you do every once in a blue moon, and it's because you were, like, especially creative, right? And even then, a lot of full-length albums nowadays are like, you know, 10, 11 songs, just kind of your average length. But they, even then, they're like, you know, 30, 35 minutes. They're rather short. Bowie still, even to like the very last, is using the full album as an artistic statement, as the way it was always, you know, kind of meant to be used. And... It's just it's it's really incredible that he could still keep doing that even though that's not what people really like anymore, you know? Yeah. It's I don't know. I myself like I'm I've always been like a full album type of guy. I love an LP, you know. But I also like understand that you kinda have to roll with what's going on in the current time frame or, you know, just be left to obscurity. And he somehow managed to kind of walk the line between both of those things. You know? Yeah, yeah. Someone who's like fully in control of their creative selves, <laughs> um, even uh, that late into their life. I mean, he was like seventy. Or he was sixty-nine. Sixty-nine. <laughs> nice. Wait, didn't you have something to mention with numbers? Earlier? Oh no, I well because the album is. There are so many cryptic symbols constantly, like littered throughout David Bowie's career. And apparently, Colton had a different time, but the album is 41 minutes and 14 seconds long, which, you know, those are like mirroring numbers. Yeah, and like I said, and I was just going off Spotify. So okay, yeah. Well, I was gonna say, I just, I guess, I thought it was notable because with so much of the stuff that he references, like you mentioned, Aleister Crawley, like he he did have like a period where he was heavily tied to like, you know, like um, I mean, he's always done like outer space stuff, but he did a whole lot of mysticism and yeah, like yeah. Um, he was Gnostic. really interested in like. Well, yeah, the Gnostics and then in magic, like, and, uh, like the Golden Dawn, like, Mm. so he's got all of these, like, things that he ties into. I guess it was interesting, again, more cryptic symbols, I suppose, that it was 41 minutes and 14 seconds long, that it's this mirroring number, because numbers always mean something. They always have these very definitive, like, meanings, and I guess I'm interested to see that, like... I don't know. Fours are usually like foundational kind of things, and ones are beginnings, and then there's like ah. that mirror, like beginning and foundation. Ah. You know, I uh, during this research going down the cult rabbit hole, somebody mm-hmm. said that uh, sixty nine was sort of like um, 
uh, numeric representation of as above, so below, or something mm -hmm. like that. It's yeah. Like, oh, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yes. Ah. Witchy shit. Witchy shit. What a lovely mystery. A weird mystery. Isn't that great? Yeah. It's such a package. Yeah. <laughs> it's juicy. I first listened to Black Star, uh, I think, right around the time um, David Bowie died. I remember watching Lazarus under a blanket after uh, the news and then just sitting there for an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> but I listened to the album and I just, it just, I didn't get it. Um, so I just, I didn't give it a, another listen. Um, but yeah, so I'm glad we picked this album for this, for this. I think so we could dive a little you deeper. You know, he had been inactive for so long that I think he had kind of fallen into obscurity for a lot of people. So David yes. Bowie wasn't someone that yeah. you really like thought of like, oh, this person is still making music, mm -hmm. you know? So I feel like Next Day happened and it really kind of went without fanfare. Mm -hmm. um, I, people who love David Bowie really love that album. But as far as the general public, I think it still just kind of flew under the radar. Yeah. You know what? The Next Day came out just close to like the time period when I was getting into David Bowie. And mm. the thing is, is that album came out and I think I had assumed that he had already died. Like uh, I was just like David Bowie is this like off referenced like old historical rock figure like, but I wasn't aware because he had been inactive for so long and it it just seemed like I don't yeah I think I we'd know. be remiss to to not talk about um, the artwork for Next Day and for Black Star Next Day especially though because it's the cover of Heroes, but mm -hmm. with a white square over it. And it the was face like, removed. Yeah. They basically, you know, just starting over once again. Like, that this, is, this is his past and here's the future. Here's the next one. Clean white slate to start over again. On the Black Star album cover, it took me forever to realize that the stars below spell out Bowie. Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> it's genius. Like, uh, See, that's another, like, that's the other gym is like, you should look through it. I brought my vinyl because oh, all no, of the no. artwork that goes with it, like all of that is its own, like there's all kinds of like Easter eggs that are supposed to be hidden on it. And it's, it, it also gives you no answers. It's yeah. fantastic. God, what a mystery. What a weird fucking nightmarish uh, mystery. So yeah, I, I've got the list of little Easter eggs here. So Bowie and stylized letters. So you mentioned that one. Um, the, uh, with the record removed, the black paper behind the cutout reveals a hidden picture of a star field mm -hmm. when the fold-out sleeve is held up to a light source. Um, it took <laughs> this is just Wikipedia, but it took more than four months for fans to discover the effect. <laughs> um, because can some, you imagine some dude, <gasps> yeah, some dude laid on on his back in his bedroom and was holding up the paper and went, <gasps> there's an image here. Uh, God, that must be a religious experience. <laughs> Another That's fun fact is uh, this is the first and only Bowie sleeve to not feature a picture of Bowie himself. Wow. Interesting. Right. I mean, you know, technically he's covered up on next day. Yeah. He's, he's there. Still there. Yeah. He's not he's not there at all. It's actually on the record sleeve, it's cut out. It's a it's a cutout star. Oh, well. It's hollow. Yeah, black oh. star. Empty. It's hollow and it's like, you know gone. It's a it's a, it's a gone. void. Yeah. It's gone. It's not there. <gasps> oh. 
I live for the theater of it all. And, mm. uh, you know, you said earlier, we, at, at the beginning of this podcast, we said, you know, we set out a criteria of divisive albums. I don't know that this album was all that divisive, but shit, there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. Well, I feel like the cool thing about it, um, let me check. Let me check. Because I think this is one of his first albums that actually, I think it was his only album that... Um, it's got a Grammy. Well... I think he's won more than one Grammy. Oh my God, that's kind of sad. Let me double check. I don't want to phrase it wrong. Um, yeah, it won a Grammy. He won several with this one, I think. Yeah. yeah there was a lot that happened in this one. We're all watching you, Gina. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> I just got really distracted reading. You're good. Yeah. Well. Sorry. I feel like I had something more to add to it, but. Well, that's I'm right. distracted. Sorry. But that's amazing. How amazing. Wow. So I guess that's it. Black Star. Yeah. If you haven't fucking listened to it, you should listen to it. And if you haven't fucking listened to it, made it this far in the episode. Not to mention just like, listen to David Bowie. Listen to, da- where listen are, to who, David Bowie. Listen to David Bowie. Any point in the man's career, there's 25 records. There's a few not so great ones, but they're all great. They're all <laughs> Listen, fantastic. I want to know, okay, what is, we, we do this sometimes, I want to know what the favorite and the least favorite tracks are for you. For oh, this one? I say, yes, you, I really want to hear these things. Favorite least well, who do you want? Who do you want to go first? You looked at me, but I don't know if you're That's just because you're there, but right. I mean, it's fine. You can start if you're comfortable. If not, Brandon. Okay. Um, I will just have to say, not because I don't like the song, but because I'm just, I, I just get so disengaged, is uh, Sue. Sue's the one song that is my least favorite of the record. Um, and number one, I'm going to say right now, it's going to be a tie, okay? Because I can't decide. It's either got to be Black Star or the final track. Um, I can't give everything away. I just love it. Yeah. I love Black Star. I mean, that's probably my favorite. It's um, so cinematic, and yeah. there's, uh, there's so much to it. There's two songs in it. Um, Love it. yeah, Black Star. I mean, like least favorite. It's not like if I say least favorite, I still like really like the song. Um, but the one I always just kind of forget about is a uh, a girl. She uh, lo- girl loves me. Girl loves me. Um, because I mean, it's just nonsense. <laughs> I mean, there's like a little bit of meaning but like even you know using this stuff from clockwork orange like it it was something that just kind of came together organically in the classic bowie way so i guess in that way it's a testament just to you know the bowie writing style yeah Mm -hmm. um a fun fact for about bowie songwriting um he often used the cut-up technique that burrows yeah he did and there's actually like bowie talks about it quite a bit oh Um, yeah he loved to use it yeah what is the cut-up technique? You, you take, uh, you take cut random out, words. Oh. Yeah, you yeah. cut out like, letters cut and words and stuff from magazines Piece them together. Oh. Make, make stories out of them. Which is Kind of like the refrigerator poetry strips that people yeah. have, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Same thing. It's often why a lot of his words don't make a lot of sense. Interesting. Hmm. Melissa, favorite, least favorite? If you have to pick, and you have to. Okay, well, all right. 
fine. I was going to. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> <sighs> My favorite was Tis a Pity She Was a Whore, actually. Oh. I, you know, that is a great song. Yeah. That, one. that song gets me every time. <clears throat> Um, and then my least favorite is probably Sue, actually. Yeah. I, it's, it's kind of the throwaway track on the album for me. Is it what? What? what can you pinpoint what exactly about Tis a Pity She Was a Whore that you that you love? Is it just the rambunctiousness of the music? Do you like it? Yeah, it's just like it's all over the place, and it's just fun, and it catches your attention. Did you Did you giggle when Bowie said cock? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely did. Uh, of course. Man, she punched me like a dude. That's my favorite part. Like <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Like, number one, you said dude. <laughs> she's a cop. All the same song, balls. Yeah. You know, Love I mean, it. I just, he still manages to get some humor in there, even in this dark, dark album. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I don't know. Yeah, it was just, that one was just very... I'm a black star. I'm not a gangster. I'm not a film star. I'm not a porn star. I'm not I'm a watering star. star. I'm a black star. What's your favorite least favorite? Uh, it's so hard. It's so hard because it's hard to say that I have a least favorite. Right. I'm going to say right now my least favorite is Tis a Pity She's a Whore. Oh. Um, it's so good, though, is the problem. Right. It's so good. It's so good. That's the thing, they're all good. Right. They're all so good. The least favorite's still good. Uh, that one, that it's one. It's often kind of hard to talk about them separately, too. Mm-hmm. You know? It's true. I was going to say that one just seems the most almost out of place. Not like it doesn't belong there, but it just kind of hops into a strange. Right after Black Stars, a strange yeah. place, I guess, for it to be, yeah. but. It's still so good. Um, my favorite is I know that we all hate it. It's Sue. I don't know <laughs> why. Know that we it's I. It's my favorite one on the album. Why I is get that? the most. I just get really excited when it comes on. I love. It's so strange and like noisy and like it tells such a dark, strange story mm-hmm. and his vo- like. I love what he does vocally on that song. It's a really the way everything is so stretched out and sort of ghostly and like there's all this weird noise going on too and it's a kind of aggressive i just i really love everything about you know, it i bet bowie would probably it's like, like being on a roller like coaster it's like that roller coaster the one that launches you straight up and back down bowie, okay you're ta- now you're speaking my language yes okay, we're talking about cedar yeah point, the cedar top point. dragster yes, yes it's exactly it like launches that you it launches into space it's the same emotion for me i you come off of lazarus and it's like the light do 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 and bam and suddenly <laughs> it just rips you right along it's well, I, I was saying I think I feel like Bo would like that you like that song because from what I understand, it seems like that's the one that he kind of let somebody else take the reins. Yes, a bit more. I love how much fun he had with them. I love that he was just like go for it. He loved them so much. Classic David Bowie fashion because he this is the first time he's working with most of these artists yeah. and he like he just saw them and he's like I really like them. I I want to work with them. I like what they're doing. I want to work with them. And they were great because they weren't individual musicians. They were they're like a quintet. They're yeah. a group. Uh, they play together and he wanted them for that reason. But he's got that history of doing that, like of finding people and saying, 
I like what you do, and I... He's kind of a musician's musician. He is. Yes, he is. Well, you know, For like sure. Iggy Pop and Blondie, and right. like, there well, are... That's what I was about to say. There's a lot of these albums that David Bowie does production work on and even yes. plays on that he kind of doesn't really get any credit for it. Like, um, he finds artists Iggy and he Pop's curates album, them. Mm-hmm. Iggy Pop's album, Lust for Life, which was considered kind of like a revival of Iggy Pop's career, mm-hmm. was David Bowie at wrote least a lot of those songs. Partially produced by David Bowie and, and produced he on wrote him, yeah. some of them. And he uh, also played piano on a few of them, too. Fuck. He loved, he loved Iggy. Well, that's all whole separate conversation but i just i know i well i mean that in like such a like it's just a good friendship yes. like and he had so much faith in him as an artist he was like absolutely and he did the same thing with debbie harry like he was yeah. super into her and he's like let's make blondie a thing you know and he just constantly did that with so many artists well I, it looks like it's i so mentioned to the people who like asked to work with him and then he turned them down he still did it in the most like respectful way possible because the man is just a class act. Um, and on the theme of class acts, next time we uh, uh, we reconvene, we're going to be talking about Sign of the Times because it just had an anniversary this year, this last year of 2020. Um, I was gonna say it's like the five year anniversary of Black Star too. Sorry. So it, there we go. We're is. hitting and anniversaries. This, be, this particular yeah. episode will be released on the second. And so five you listener yeah. will be in January. Twenty sixteen. Oh, January. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Listener, dear listener. We're there. Next week is David Bowie's birthday, so for his birthday, listen to this album and a few others. Just to have a David Bowie marathon. Yeah. But listen to this album, because it turns five. So we're gonna talk about Prince's Sign of the Times. Um, which I looked at and it's four discs long? Question nice. mark. Yeah, um, y'all, it's gonna be a thing. It's gonna be a long <laughs> one. You gotta stop doing that. It might, uh, it might be breathing. a two-parter. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> yeah, I have the longest oh, marathon. Long albums. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So, my God, thank you guys for coming over. We had delicious food. We talked about depressing shit, um, but all the while loving David Bowie more and more. Yeah. Um, and next week we're just uh, we're gonna keep on keeping on and talk about Prince, talk about Sign of the Times. Um, and until then, uh, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening. Uh, and I love you. Bye. To the ends of the earth, which might be in a couple weeks. Sweet. Uh, bye. 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 Go boom, boom. See the slipitas. Zoom, zoom, zoom. Okay. Um, our episode five is the, <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is Heat on Girl Replay for Christmas. The soundtrack.